0: Drew Harwell covers technology for the Washington Post, so he's not usually describing art in granular detail. But in this case, I asked him to. A piece called Theatre d'Opera Spécial. That's French for Space Opera Theater.
1: It's this gorgeous looking painting that is, you know, gold and red, and it looks almost like this giant Baroque hall where there are these three women in these just flowing red and white robes. And it's this giant kind of chamber and they're looking out to this big circular window that is so bright, you can only really see like a glimmer of like mountains in the distance. And it looks very sort of like sci-fi and mysterious, but also kind of old world. It's a really cool, cool image.
0: What's so important about it?
1: And what's even more important about it is that it was created by an AI. It was created by this tool called Midjourney, which you type in a text prompt and it spits out an image.
0: This particular image was entered into the Colorado State Fair's fine art competition last month by a man named Jason Allen. At the fair, Allen said the piece was made with Midjourney, but nobody really knew what that meant. And You can guess where this is going. He won.
1: He was one of 21 people to submit in this, you know, digitally manipulated photography category. And the artist judges at the state fair said he was the best of the best. So his AI created image beat 20 other human artist created images. And it opened up this big debate over, you know, are we comfortable with AI kind of beating us at our own game?
0: how did How did Jason Allen react when people were surprised and maybe not entirely thrilled that this piece of art was created by AI?
1: It was funny talking to him because he, you can tell he's really on the defensive. Like he, you know, he won this competition and was super excited about it. I mean, he makes fantasy board games for a living. So he's kind of geeky to. To start, But the fact that he could sort of use this AI tool that no one totally understands and create this really cool looking fantasy image um, out of nothing was really exciting to him. But um, after he won, that kind of got spoiled a little bit because people were saying, well, you cheated, you lied, you used, you know, this AI to do this thing that... Um, you shouldn't have, and you beat other human creators in the process. So, you know, in talking with him, you definitely get this feeling of almost resentment toward human (laughs) artists to where he's saying, like, you know, you all think you're so special, and I just proved that you're not.
0: John Keats famously wrote, the beauty is truth, truth, beauty. So when AI makes beautiful art, Is it somehow a lie, or is it the paintbrush of the future? Today on the show, how the AI art boom is reshaping the artistic economy and maybe even the meaning of art. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick with us. AI art suddenly feels like it's everywhere, from weird memes to altered versions of the Mona Lisa. Multiple AI tools can make these images—Dolly, Stable Diffusion, and Mid-Journey, to name a few—but they all use a similar process.
1: So they take a bunch of photographs and pieces of art and everything we see on on the web, they put it into this big AI model and say— okay, let's make something new. Like take what you've seen before, learn the patterns, learn the styles and the colors, learn how they're attached to the text we've given you and create something. So the end result is effectively just a little program that anybody can use.
0: All a user needs to do is come up with a prompt, just a few words describing the kind of image you want. Maybe 1960s dog wearing a purple hat. And you get whatever the algorithm thinks fits your desires. I made that one, by the way. It's pretty weird. Entire communities are dedicated to creating and sharing these images. And as the technology advances quickly, the level of sophistication in the artwork has become pretty incredible.
1: I was looking on one of the subreddits devoted to one of these tools called Stable Diffusion, and somebody had typed into a prompt, um, you know, Bernie Sanders in Mad Max Fury Road, the 2015 <laughs> movie, you know, I want it high definition. I want him to have goggles. I want him to be in the sandy landscape. And the images they showed were so... It, w- it was literally like Bernie Sanders had been on the film set of this movie. He had the goggles. There was fire. He was in this, like, you know, dystopian Mad Max desert car. And it was just like, "Wow. It was like, you know, it wasn't perfect. There were still little artifacts, but it was like, I can't imagine how this AI could create something like this that was so photorealistic. And we're just on like day one of using this tech. Like, how is it going to look in a couple of years?
0: I'm struck by how quickly these these art AIs are advancing in a really short amount of time. Um, Dolly was released in what january of of last year, and there were some pretty basic images. And then a year later, Dolly Two is using these sort of complex, faster methods. You know, MidJourney, the the one that uh, Jason Allen used, has a feature that allows you to upscale and downscale images. A- and I sort of wonder, like, where is this sudden supply and demand for AI art coming from?
1: You could look back to five years ago; they had these kinds of text to image generators. And the output would be really just sort of crude. You could sort of see what the AI was trying to get at. Um, but we've only really been able to kind of cross that photorealistic, you know, uncanny valley in the last year or so. And I think um the things that have contributed to that are one, um, better data. Uh, you know, you're seeing people really invest a lot of money and um brain power and resources into adding more stuff into bigger data sets like we have whole sort of groups that are taking every image they can get on the internet billions billions of images from you know the all of the websites we use right like pinterest and amazon and like facebook and like any any image you can take off the internet they're putting it into this database attached to some text to sort of teach the ai okay this is what a cat looks like this is what a mad max looks like um so you have bigger data sets so the ai is learning more you also have better computing power um and those are the two ingredients to any good piece of ai so now you have ai that is not only trained to um understand the world a little bit better but it can now really quickly spit out a very finely detailed um Uh, generated image. So you've seen, you know, you've seen the quality increase really rapidly and you've seen some competition between a number of different groups where as long as you have, you know, the cloud computing power that is increasingly sort of available, as long as you have the data from the internet, which, you know, we can all access um, and you have the technical wherewithal, you can create your own AI generated tools.
0: Is there any way to know when you look at a piece of AI art, what images it referenced to to create what it's doing? Or is it just so vast that you can't kind of unspool it
1: backwards? When you look at an image, you can tell the AI to like combine two images and you can sort of see, you know, like looking at a a kid with their parents, you can sort of see little um, reflections of each parent. But when you're doing an image that's totally generated out of nowhere, it's taking bits of information from billions of images. And so you really, you can sort of guess that maybe it's taking it from this image, right? It has this angle that sort of looks familiar, right? It looks like maybe this image of, you know, that was taken from Mad Max. Like I, I see a, a similar image, but it's really not like taking it, it's creating it in a much more sophisticated way so that you really it's really hard to unspool.
0: Art generated by AI isn't just a gee whiz phenomenon, something that wins prizes, or even a fascinating subject for debate. It has valuable commercial uses, too. Some that are a little frightening if you're, say, a graphic designer.
1: You're already starting to see some of these images illustrating um, news art- articles, being used as logos for companies, being used, uh, in the, in the form of stock art for, you know, small businesses and websites, anything where somebody would have gone and paid an illustrator or graphic designer or artist to make something, they can now go to this AI and create something in a few seconds that, uh, is maybe not perfect, maybe would be beaten by a human in, you know, a head-to-head, but is good enough. Um, So you're seeing the AI become good enough in terms of illustrating those things. And from a commercial perspective, that's scary, right? Because we have an industry of people whose whole job is to create images that is now um, running up against AI. And, you know, the AI, again, you know, in the last five years, the AI has gotten better and better. It's still not perfect. I don't think it'll ever be perfect, whatever that looks like. It processes information in a different, maybe more literal way than a human. So I think human artists will still sort of have the upper hand in like being able to imagine things a little more outside of the box. Um, and yet, if you're just looking for like, you know three people in a classroom or like a pretty simple logo, you're going to go to AI and you're going to take potentially a, a job away from a freelancer who you would have given it to 10 years ago.
0: That's kind of where I'm going because I can see a use case here in marketing in advertising. The AI doesn't need health insurance. It doesn't need paid vacation days. And I really do wonder about this idea that the AI could replace the jobs of, of visual artists. Do Do you think that is a legitimate fear? Or, or is that maybe overwrought at this
1: moment? I think it is a legitimate fear, right? When something can mirror your skill set, um, not 100% of the way, but enough of the way that it could replace you, I think that's an issue. I mean, do these AI creators have any kind of like moral responsibility to not create it because it could put people out of jobs? That I think that's a debate, but I don't think they see it that way. Um, You know, they see it like they're just creating the new generation of digital camera, the new generation of Photoshop, right? But I I think it is worth um, worrying about because even, you know, compared to those to, to cameras and Photoshop, the AI is a a little bit more of the full package. Um, and it is so accessible and so, um, you know, hard to match in terms of, yeah, like it, it doesn't need time off. It doesn't need to get paid. It's, it's, it's a very hard to, um, compete in that frontier. So, you know, it's really going to be up to human artists to find some way to, differentiate themselves from the AI that can do a lot of the tasks that would have been up to humans, you know, only a few years ago.
0: Some AI art generators, like Dolly 2, have started charging people to use their services based on the number of words in a prompt. That suggests that the companies behind these tools see a viable commercial market in the future.
1: I think they don't know where it's going to go. Right now, they may just be putting stock photo creators out of business. But in five years, maybe they're putting, you know, video motion image creators out of it. Like maybe they're creating whole Pixar movies, um, uh, you know, with one person as opposed to, you know, a giant team. I, I think they just feel like they've got to ride this, you um, beast as far as they can take it and they really don't know where the ceiling is for this because again they just keep shoveling more data into the mix keep adding up the computing power but you know i think they definitely see a business in creating themselves as like um artists like mass artists artistry at scale um from a computer in in a way that is very uh, predictable very easy to uh, scale and grow and um, looks pretty good. you know, create stuff that is pretty pretty fun to look at and pretty interesting,
0: but this is making me wonder about the the humans underneath the data sets that the AI is trained on, right? The criticism is, of course, that these businesses are making money off of thousands of artists' work without their consent or knowledge, and that it undermines their work. Um, some people looked at the stable diffusion and They didn't have access to its whole data set, but they found that Thomas Kincaid, the the landscape painter, was like the most referenced artist in the data set. And so it sort of makes you wonder, like, is the AI just piggybacking? And, And if it's not Thomas Kincaid, if it's someone who's alive, are they piggybacking on that person's work without that person getting paid?
1: Yeah. And I'm really sympathetic to that argument, actually, because, you know, some people could call this plagiarism, right? This is a a data set that literally includes images of artists like the painter of light, right? Thousands of his images are are in that data set. And when the AI wants to make something that it thinks needs to look like that, it's going to look exactly at those images and infer things from those images. And not just people like him, but like living artists who see this as a job like their images are feeding in the machine that is taking their jobs and yet i'll also say you know jason allen's argument and the ai boosters argument to this is that um How did you learn how to paint? You looked at Hmm. a bunch of other people's paintings, right? You went to art school. Um, You learned the techniques of the masters who came before you. Isn't this how we all learn, right? We look at the creative product of other people and, you know, we copy over time, right? It's flattery. We duplicate the things we've seen before. That's just what AI is doing. It's just doing it way better and, uh, you know, at a scale of billions of times more than um, we do it.
0: When we come back, the ineffable human qualities that AI just can't mimic.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: There's no question that AI can make compelling images, or even beautiful ones. But when you start to think beyond technical skill, to the emotional resonance or cultural commentary contained in great art, a computer seems destined to fall far short of a human. I'm thinking of the artist Kara Walker. A lot of her art draws on hyper-racialized, hyper-sexualized images of Black people and Black women. I could very quickly see an AI trained on Kara Walker's work not having the commentary, not being subtle or interesting or critiquing in that way, and just popping out some racist images.
1: Yeah, totally. And that's where the humans get back the upper hand, right? Like, we can understand things about cultural context and these broader, um, mushier sort of social debates that the AI is just nowhere closer to understanding. And, you know, the problem with these AIs is that they're trained off the internet, and you know, you've probably been on the internet. You've seen it's not all sunshine and rainbows, right? Like there's a lot of bad crap. <laughs> Understatement of the year. Yeah, right. And you know, and this has happened with um, chatbots, like text uh, AI, where you train it off of you know, the seedier parts of Reddit or do you train it off of 4chan or just some website that most humans don't want to go to either. And voila, it starts to become this like neo-Nazi weirdo because it's learning to copy um, what it's seen. And so, you know, for AI art, it may not be that it's copying only neo-Nazi images, but it's copying only one specific kind of image. And that's what people have put out on the internet it's not like what we all understand um and so it's always going to be a big but finite view of the world right now it's just doing a really good job of of mirroring other images and um And you even see that in stuff like Jason Allen's um, painting. His idea was a space opera theater, right? And when we talk about space opera, we think of Star Wars and Star Trek. But when you look at the piece of art, it looks like there's elements of space images, and there's elements of opera. Like, that's why, I think, why the women are in these, you know, operatic sort of Baroque robes. So it thought it was getting to the space opera that humans know, but when really it was sort of creating this whole other new thing that was a mix of, like, you know, Italian opera that wasn't quite what we were asking for. And, you know, it still created a cool piece of work, but you can see why that would be an issue, getting to other pieces of symbolism, getting to other kind of illustrations.
0: Jason Allen seemed to take the stance that AI generated art is is the future. How did that go down um, with people who were judging it and and also people who have reacted to this piece of work on the internet?
1: I had seen people reacting to this, his win online and on Twitter and even in the AI art spaces where people were very upset about it. They felt there was some deception there. They felt there was some plagiarism there. They felt like, you know, he had stolen from these human artists who had worked in, you know, the quote unquote right way. I talked to the judges who gave him the win. I talked to one of the artists that he beat who won third place from, you know, hand drawing something on an iPad. And I talked to an oil painter who does just gorgeous oil paintings. Um, and you know, who could potentially in in one world, like be out of a job in the future because of this, I expected them to all hate it. And they all surprised me by saying, actually, I think it's pretty cool. Like they felt like, who are we to say what is art and what is not art? Hmm. Right. Um, you know, they all sort of felt like, well, maybe we should have a category for AI art in the future so it's not competing with human art. The beauty of a piece of artwork is what we as the human viewers get out of it. Like, does it matter that it's by a person's hand? And, and if it does, like, how far do you have to go?
0: The pro-AI argument is that art is always evolving, and so are the tools that humans use to make it. They're just different depending on the era.
1: 100 or 200 years ago, there was a, a view that, you know, even uh, photography was not real art, right? It was just somebody hitting a button on a camera, capturing what they saw in real life. And now we understand, you know, it's photography, the best photography is about composition and color and style and tone and, you know, all of these human subjective subjective judgments that Jason Allen would say he made in his own piece of art, right? Like he said, he made a ton of different iterations. He went through and, you know, there were a lot of um, bad creations and he chose the one that he felt was the most evocative. So in their argument, they felt like um, let's judge the artwork based on the reaction we get from it and, and not so much where it comes from.
0: I guess we could be having a conversation about those shocking impressionists displaying their work and how dare they just throw paint at a canvas and make that the focus and not, you know, draw a perfect figure.
1: It's very a polarizing debate. Like, there are a lot of AI people who feel like they're being, you know... Mistreated by ludites who, you know, see them as people who don't understand art. But there are a lot of like weird creations that are coming out of this AI art community where there have been people who have, like, like you said, Impressionists, like trying to upscale and like AI-ify Impressionist paintings to like supposedly make them look better. But you see the original painting and you see the one that's been like run through the AI and like, there's so there's something that's been so clearly lost right you see the ai creation and it's like maybe higher quality or the colors are like brighter and yet it just looks like just vomit on a canvas from from a piece of software
0: not to get too philosophical but these tools do raise the question of what makes art art and who gets to define that anyway in your story you quoted one of the judges basically saying she didn't know that this was AI-generated art, but she wouldn't have changed her judgment, that that there was a concept and a vision, he brought it to reality, and it's a beautiful piece. So it is this question, I guess, that, like, art, however we use that word, is, what, in, in the eye of, of the beholder?
1: Yeah, the art is what we take from it. This judge, who is an artist herself and an art historian, um... She did not feel deceived. She felt like the emotion I first felt when I saw it was still real. It really caught her eye when she was walking, you know, through the state fair, looking at a lot of great pieces of art it, that this one was, you know, she said it told a story and it made me question, like, what are these figures in this painting looking at? Like, what is what is the deeper meaning to any of this? So she didn't feel like... Um, there was some bait and switch she felt like oh this is a pretty cool image and you know i don't exactly know how it was made but um it hit something in me and that's really all she was looking for when she was looking at art
0: drew harwell thank you so much for talking with me thank you drew harwell is a tech reporter covering ai for the washington post and that is it for our show today what Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Tori Bosch. Joanne Levine is the executive producer for What Next. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family, and we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you are a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to Slate.com slash Plus to sign up. You'll get your Slate podcasts ad-free. We will be back on Sunday talking with Mark Bergen, the author of a new book about YouTube. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.